you, I know that was hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know how David got them to do that. You'll probably see them all at Moe's this afternoon, so we'll get out of here early so that we can get through, right? Moe's is a fantastic place, is it not? When you walk in, they attempt to make you feel right at home. They try to uh, make you feel that it's just a comfortable place to go and eat. And doing so, they market their business. And you know what? It works. Because most of the time we're there, once a week, if not a couple of times a month. And you know the church has been given the mission to win our community to the Lord. And doing that in the past, we did some fantastic things. We had week-long revivals every night in the house of the Lord for an hour, an hour and a half. It was a time in which we brought in choirs, we brought in special musicians. It was a time in which the church involved, and particularly at this time of year, October and November were the times that we had these great revivals. We would go door to door and put knockers on and visit people. We would do mass mail-outs and even special seasonal programs. And we would even put up appealing uh, posters and signs that hoped that people would be curious and come in and visit with us. But the reality of it is, is that I believe we are a pull society, a pull culture. And what I mean by that is that the information is placed out there on the internet and placed out there on the web, and we are expected to go out and pull it down so that we can receive that information. But as I read the Word of God, I believe the Word of God tells us that the method that He wants us to use and the method that is biblical is a push culture, is a push idea that we ought to go out and win the world. Jesus was telling a parable about a man who prepared a supper and sent out the invitations and nobody would be willing to come. Notice in Luke the 14th chapter verse 23 says, And the Lord said unto the servants, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I believe that's the message for us today. I believe that's the message of a pulled congregation, a congregation that will push the message out, that will push it to the people. And how are we going to deal with that? I believe one of the skills that the Word of God teaches us is found there in the book of Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 27 through 32. It's a story, it's an account of Levi. In Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 27 through 32, as you take your Bibles and turn together, we realize that God speaks to us through this passage, and he says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Levi uses a method that we call hospitality to reach his friends, his tax collector friends, the outcast of that particular day. And we learn, first of all, that true hospitality begins with true conversion. Levi was an IRS guy in our terms, in our ideas. He was a tax collector. He would set up a booth right at the, uh, at the port, 
And when ships would come in, he would collect taxes, a tariff from them as they brought in their goods. And those that had brought their goods to the port and were going to put it on the ships and send it around the world, he would tax them likewise. He was viewed as a traitor to his nation because it was the Roman government that was collecting these taxes and the Jewish nation found it so under their boot. His testimony wasn't even accepted in the courts of law. He was excommunicated from his faith, from his family, and from his future. No Orthodox or strict Jew would even sit down and eat with him. But Levi was also self-aware. He understood that money just wouldn't make him happy. He understood that he was despised and rejected by the people. The daily routine of collecting taxes just did not bring about fulfillment in his life. He was looking for something. He knew there was a need in his life. He knew he was sick and he needed a doctor, but he didn't know where to go. He had no hope to get right with his family. No way his family was going to receive him back into their fellowship. That relationship was broken and it hurt him and it was painful. No hope to getting right with God. He couldn't even go to the temple. He couldn't go to the synagogues. He was rejected from his faith. No hope to the dilemmas in his life. Many around us live in this unfulfilled life. Many in our community, many in our areas of this city. As I looked at the paper, I realized that we have an unemployment in Birmingham or in the state of Alabama at 8.5. And in the Birmingham Hoover area, it's at about 7.6. 5,000 people unemployed in our area. 5,000 families without a job, 5,000 that are lurking and looking and longing for a place to be employed and have significant meaning in their life. Physically, many of our community are feeling the pain of their own physical health and feeling the, the hurt of the financial crush that is upon each of us. There are many in our community that are emotionally in need. They're filled with stress and they're filled with unhappiness and they're filled with discontentment. They are depressed. 27 million in, a, in the U.S. alone are being treated for depression. It is real. It is powerful. It is affecting not only our community. It affects our church. It affects us as a people of God. It affects us even here at Meadowbrook. There are many that have that spiritual need. They have no hope of eternity. They have no peace in their life. They have no confidence that God is with them and that God has an answer for them. They have millions and millions of questions. They wonder why, why. Every day they wake up with that same question. And every day they go to bed with that same question. They are spiritually starving. They are spiritually drained. And they have a blind spot. You know what the blind spot is when you're driving down the road and that car comes up on your left-hand side and he's in that special place that your mirror doesn't pick him up and your uh, peripheral vision doesn't pick him up. He is in that spot that you can't see. Well, many of us in our lives and many in our community have a blind spot. They know there's a need in their life, but they don't know how to fulfill that. And notice what Romans the 10th chapter verse 14 says. 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I like that passage of Scripture. Okay. But I think the, ver- the, the, word, the phrases before it are important because they need to hear. They need to hear the message. They're in that blind spot. They don't know the message. They don't know the answer. They're searching for it everywhere. But that blind spot is so real to them that they cannot find the answer. Somebody has to tell them. Someone has to share with them. Someone has to communicate that there is hope in this world. There is peace in this world. There is satisfaction in this world. There is a purpose for getting up in the morning. There is a purpose for getting rest. We need to share that with them. Hospitality begins with that true conversion. But hospitality also follows. Jesus says unto Levi as he sits at the booth collecting taxes, follow me. You know what? There's no theological statement with that. There's no need to understand the Trinity with that. There is no need to understand that the Word of God is infallible and errant. You don't need to understand theological terms. Jesus simply said to Levi, follow me. And as you read that passage of Scripture there in Luke, you'll understand that the Greek understanding is that not only did Levi pick up his stuff and follow, but he began the journey. Jim Elliott, a missionary that was killed in South America in the early 50s, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a a powerful passage, a powerful statement. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the message, ladies and gentlemen. That's the message of the gospel. You can collect all the gold and silver in this world, all the deeds and properties that you can muster, all that you can store away, and it can be lost. But you need to hold on to that one thing, to that one piece of faith, that one piece of hope, that one piece of of grace, the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus saw his heart. He saw him sitting at the table, but he saw his heart. He looked beyond his job. He looked beyond his image. He looked beyond what the community thought of Levi. And as he says there in Mark, the second chapter, verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Jesus sees that which is deep within us. We can't disguise it. We can't put a mask over it. We can't make it something that it's not. He sees us. He understands us. He understands our attitude. He understands our feelings. He understands our thought process. Jesus saw what Levi could become. He became a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He became an apostle, one that had been with Jesus and that was a leader in the church. He became an evangelist. Many believe that he preached for 15 years in Palestine, sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Many believe in the church that he was a martyr. And that's questionable because we have no record of that. But we do know that he was willing to follow. Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 23 through 25 says, Then he says to them all, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, 
and whoever loses his life for me will save it. To follow Jesus. I don't know about you, that's a hard thing to do. I get to wanting to follow my own will. I get to want to satisfy my desires. I get to want to collect things for me. It becomes about me in so many ways. And I have to sit back and, and allow the power of God and the Spirit of God to move through me, to lead me, to lead me to make those decisions that are honoring and pleasing unto Him. It is so much in my DNA to run and to, to outrun the Lord when many times He says, wait on me, trust in me, depend upon me. I will guide your ways. I will seek the best for you in your life. So true hospitality desires to follow. But I also believe true hospitality shares. Because I believe hospitality comes from the very heart and the very love of God. It is rooted in the very uh, essence of who God is. In John the 15th chapter, verse 9 through 10, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. You know, this is totally profound to the world because we live in a world in which love many times is simply a warped sense of getting what I want. It is a sense in which we neglect to understand that God Almighty loves me. He loves me with all my, my faults and with all my failures. He loves me with all my doubt and with all my sin. He loves me for who I am right now in this place. And that's why we sing that song, Just as I am, without one plea. Just as I am right now, Lord, without any excuses, without any alibis, without any, ex- uh, any uh, justification, I stand before you seeking that you receive me. And the other thing about God's love is that it is so profoundly inclusive. Now that's hard for us to understand because many of us have been raised to understand and look at people differently. Because they're different, because they speak different, because they come from a different culture, because they, they believe in things that are different than us, we sort of are afraid of them and we sort of hold them off. God loves everyone. He loves them no matter how tall they are or how short they are, no matter how skinny they may be or how plump they may have found themselves. God loves them. He loves them because not only of the pigma of their skin, but he loves them because they are his creation. They are his beings. And that's scary. My daughter called this week and They are dealing with the poor mission board, and the mission board has offered them an opportunity to serve, first of all, in Israel for two years, then to London to do work with the Jewish personnel, Jewish uh, faith believers. And I don't know about you, but when they said Israel, I went, are you kidding me? Do you know how many nukes are pointed that way? Not with my grandchildren. I'm not sure about this. I'm not really sure if I'm totally happy and pleased. But you know what? God loves the Jewish nation. He loves the Palestinians. He loves the Iraqis. He loves them. And no matter how they may see us, no matter how they may feel to us, God loves them. 
And there is a message that we need to share with them. There is a message that will change their life. There is a message that will bring them into the presence of God Almighty. God's love is inclusive. And no matter how I may want to box it and package it, God still loves everyone. Hospitality reaches out to others. You know, those that we know, those that we have daily contact with, you know, many of your staff just, we will live here in this building. We live here about seven days a week, okay? You can probably come up here at any time, and you'll find one of us wandering around through here. We get lost in here times and just walk, okay? And so our contacts many times are you, our spouses, and whoever happens to be in the building with us at the time. But many of us have a, a circle of influence. The person that we see at the, uh, the store, the person that we see at Walmart, the person that we work with, the person that's in the cubicle beside us. Our sphere of influence is powerful, is real. And many times as I look at hospitality and as I see God wanting us to reach that, I realize that hospitality is rooted in the Old Testament concept, that sacred duty that when a neighbor or when a stranger comes by your tent, you are to bring them in, to feed them, and to lodge them, and even protect that traveler while he's with you as he stops at your door. You find that in Genesis, the 18th chapter with Abraham, as the strangers come by and as they meet with him, as he shares with them you find that there is a table bond, a table bond, a bond that exists with those that you sit down and eat with. It was very important in the Old Testament time that when you sat down with someone, you created a special bond that had a special obligation to it. Hospitality, when we come to the New Testament, takes on the idea of love of strangers. I don't know about strangers. You know, strangers can get challenging, can they not? You don't know who they are. And every time I go to a place like Atlanta, strangers find me, okay? They find me. I don't know what it is. They just go, this guy we're going to touch, okay? We're going to get in his face. We're going to ask everything we can of this guy. And I like to run, okay? And I just, you know, I want to do something different. But, you know, when you look at the Greek and you understand this love of strangers, it is the love that exists with our circle of influence as we extend that circle, as we expand it. In 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 9 through 11, he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in a variety and in various forms. You know, as I look at Peter, I understand that hospitality is hard. If we're going to entertain strangers, if we're going to invite them into our homes, if we're going to invite them to sit at a meal with us, that is difficult, is it not? How many of us would just go down to Walmart today and say, hey, would you come home and have dinner with me today? Not many of us, would we? We wouldn't catch the guy at the 7-Eleven and say, hey, you want to come home and have dinner with me today? You know, the idea of hospitality is difficult. And many times, if we do it, it becomes that of grumbling. You know, you look at Mary and Martha, and you see when Jesus comes, that you have one sister that is willing to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him, and the other is in the house worrying. 
you know, is the plates right? Is, you know, do we have enough food? Has it been prepared correctly? And is everything dress right dress? And we can't do anything and we can't invite anybody to our house until it's dress right dress. Till everything is in place, till the house has been cleaned immaculately, till everything is perfect. But you know, God says we need to exercise that hospitality. In Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 13, he says, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, it's not something that is an option. It is something that God wants us and demands of us that we ought to practice hospitality, that we ought to make it part of our daily exercise, that we ought to make it part of our daily constitution. It is something that we do. We endeavor to reach out to people. We endeavor to walk with people. We call it a ministry of presence. Now, do I believe that we at Meadowbrook are going to have a great revival and bring in an evangelist and we're just going to fill the place up every night, seven nights in a row? I can't imagine that. Now, it could happen, could it not? I'm sure if Billy Graham would show up here, we could probably pack the place. But normally it's not going to happen. How are we going to win Meadowbrook? How are we going to turn the streetlights on in Meadowbrook? Well, James would tell you, you can't do that because there are no streetlights in Meadowbrook. So we're, he reminded me of that. I was going, well, you know, we can turn the lights on in the building, right, and flood the community in that way. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to do that how? By going door to door, knocking on people's doors? We're going to have to walk with people, are we not? Walk beside them. We're going to have to walk beside them at Lowe's. We're going to have to walk beside them at the Dairy Queen. We're going to have to walk beside them in all the community activities. When we're out there at the baseball diamond, and there's people at the, going to the baseball diamond today, there's people that have been at the baseball diamond all weekend, there's people that are almost living at the baseball diamond. When you walk at the baseball diamond, guess what? We can exercise hospitality. And we can exercise the ministry of presence. We can share our faith. It can become that which is embedded embedded in our very essence. We need to minister hospitality to the socially outcast. You know, we have a ministry here to the prisons. If you haven't been in a prison to minister, it's an interesting place to go. It's a scary place if you haven't been. Because there's a building with bars and locks and all kinds of security. And that alone gets your attention. But God wants us to minister to the outcast. God wants us to minister to those that have been rejected by society. God wants us to minister to those that need to hear the message of salvation. It is our mission. It is our purpose. He requires us to minister to those in need. In Hebrews 13, chapter verse 2 through 3, he says... Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. We used to live in a small town in North Carolina called Clinton, North Carolina. It was on the outskirts of town. And uh, one particular day, Jackie was at home. And she saw this, this individual walking the road, the highway. And that person walked in knocked on the door and said, can you give me some food? 
Well, our first thought would be what? To bar every door in the house, to lock all the windows, and to run as hard as we can. Jackie just felt so compelled, so compelled to give and to share with him. And this passage of scripture came to our mind as he left. How many people do we come in contact with every single day that we can minister to? That we go, go get a job. Or we go, ah, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to pay any attention to you. That we ought to stop and reach out to and to touch their lives. Now, the reality of it is, is that hospitality is difficult. It requires us to have a plan. It requires us to have a, make a conscious decision to work at reaching people, to prepare ourselves, to pray in the morning, to go prepared, to pray. Miss Jane gave a testimony yesterday in uh, Morning Manor. She talked about going to her doctor's office with a pamphlet to give it to her. And she sort of kept going, well, you can give it to so-and-so, you can give it to so-and-so, you can give it to so-and-so. And she got to give it to how many people? A lot of people, this pamphlet. You know, going with the intention to do what? To share my faith. To have it in your pocket. To have it available. That's a plan. Okay? If you leave the house tomorrow morning, say, I'm going to do whatever God leads me, and you don't have something in your pocket, and, you don't, and you're not prepared, and you haven't prayed over it, then the opportunity is going to come, it's going to make, manifest itself, and you're going to walk right by it. John Piper, a preacher, says, the physical force of gravity pulls everything into the core of the earth. And it takes thousands and thousands of pounds of energy to propel a rocket or a missile out of the, grab, out of the grasp of gravity. But there is also a psychological force of gravity that pulls everything, all our thoughts and all our affections and all our physical actions into the center of ourselves, into the center of our home, into the center of our family. And therefore, it only becomes a natural world to neglect hospitality. It's a path of least resistance. All that we have to do is yield to that natural gravity that pulls us to self-centeredness, that pulls us to neglect that which is around us so much that all we see is ourself, and there's no room to reach out to others. We forget about it. We neglect it. And so the Bible tells us we need to stop it. We need to gird ourselves up. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to uh, fill ourselves with the power of the Spirit of God. And we need to stop neglecting hospitality. And we need to begin to practice it. Practice it every single day. If we at Meadowbrook are going to turn the lights on of hope and of peace and of purpose and of love in the community of Meadowbrook, which includes Highland Lakes, which includes Greystone, which includes Inverness, which includes Indian Springs, which includes Eagles Landing, that whole community in this valley. If we're going to turn the lights on of the gospel, if we're going to turn the lights on of hope, we need to practice hospitality with intentionality, with plans, with purpose. We can do it because we walk beside these men and women every single day. And as you take your card, 
And as you look at those 10 things that are listed there, is there someone that God's placing upon your heart right now? Is there a, a idea that has come across your mind? You may be 65 years of age. You may be 15 years of age. You can practice hospitality at school. You can practice hospitality at work. You can practice hospitality on the ball field. You can practice hospitality shopping. God compels us. He commands us. Practice hospitality. Shall we pray? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come this morning knowing that you love us. But Father, many times being pulled in by the gravity of our own self, being pulled in by the gravity of our family, being pulled in by our own cares and our own wants and our own needs, that we're blinded to the opportunities that are available to us each and every day. Father, may we turn on the streetlights of our community to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be that witness that brings honor and glory to your name. May we leave here with a plan. May we leave here with a desire to share with others the good news. Jesus loves you. He'll forgive you. And he'll give you hope beyond measure. He'll give you joy beyond our understanding. He will fill us with the lights of heaven. Encourage us now as we share together. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen. As we stand together and as we sing our hymn of invitation, hymn number 573, God may be calling upon you this morning. He may have led a special need in your life. And I call you this morning to take the time to come and pray if necessary, to come and take James's hand and share with him, to come and join with us as a church as we seek to be the witness that God has called us to be.